Welcome to the Choosing to Stay podcast. We're your hosts, Hallie Roderick and Stephanie Hamby, certified relationship and recovery coaches. We specialize in supporting couples who are healing from infidelity and betrayal. We invite you to join us each week as we explore the challenges and joys of the recovery journey for couples who are choosing to stay in a relationship after betrayal. We'll encourage you with hope for healing and transformation. Connection, empathy, growth, choosing to stay. Thank you for joining us today. Hallie and I talked with you all last week about codependency and how it is a trauma response. And some of these behaviors that we pick up due to trauma that are no longer serving us as we are growing and becoming the people that we want to be through this healing and recovery process. And a lot of the codependent behaviors that are picked up, they're they're just no longer serving us. So we want to recognize those behaviors and then move towards a more healthy dynamic in the relationship. And so what we work through in this relational repair is moving to healthy interdependence. And so today, Hallie and I are going to talk to you about what that looks like, the benefits of it, and how you get there, what it looks like to integrate that back in those healthy dynamics. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this today because a lot of us may have never even seen a healthy interdependent relationship modeled. And so it can feel like a foreign concept and it can actually be a little bit uncomfortable initially to step out of our old unhealthy patterns that we've used to protect ourselves or to survive. And so it takes some work to step out of those unhealthy dynamics. And a lot of times as you're just starting this, you may not know what that looks like. So that's why we feel um, inspired to talk about this today is to just give you an idea of what that looks like and some things that you can do to start practicing stepping into a more interdependent type of relationship. Okay. So my mind first goes to how do I step into an interdependent type relationship if I don't know who I am? And if I feel like I need something to survive from the other person, you know, so stepping into getting to know myself, getting to be aware of what my needs are and which of those can I meet by myself? Or do I need to make a request from someone to create a healthy environment for myself? Like, what do I need to get to know myself so that I can show up as that independent version of myself to step into an interdependent relationship? Yeah. Well, and really what I hear you saying in that is that that is the work. So when we talk about both individuals doing their work before relational repair, that is the work. And the work is, do I know who I am? What is my identity? What is it rooted in? What are my core values? What are my rights and my beliefs? And as a person separate from my relationship, who am I? And who am I now that this has happened to me in my life? So a lot of the work that you do is that looking into your identity, who am I now? And we have to have that. It's kind of like the iceberg effect and the interdependence is what we see above the water, but there is a lot going on underneath that that's supporting the iceberg. And so that is the work that's underneath that. I know who I am so that I can come into relationship with you. 
And there was another thing I was thinking about that is like, even if we relate it to like the iceberg analogy, if we just had a piece of ice floating on top of the water, it's not rooted in anything. It's just going to flow with whatever circumstances come. So it's getting rooted back into who you are and how can you show up in a relationship as a healthy person? Sometimes what I see in couples is usually the partner who has been betrayed is the one that tends to move towards this, but it is the hyper independence. So once they recognize that there could have been some like codependent behaviors, they will move to the opposite end, which is that hyper independence, which is absolutely a trauma response, a coping behavior of I am protecting myself from being fully known and fully seen for who I am. So I'm going to put up these walls or these, this barrier between us and I will meet all of my own needs. So I don't need you to help me meet needs. I don't want you to, I can do that all by myself. And so there's like two ends of the spectrum moving together towards healthy interdependence that is rooted in the identity. How can I recognize these behaviors in myself? I see that a lot too, with the hyper independence. And I think even though it's not really a healthy way to show up in a relationship, I think it sometimes can be beneficial to go all the way to the other side of that, because then you, you experience what it's like to be on the codependent end of the spectrum and the hyper independent state. So if you find yourself in a hyper independent state, I don't want you to think that, that that's terrible or bad or wrong. It's part of that learning and discovery process of who I am. And there can be value in that as you learn to settle back into a healthy dynamic in your relationship, assuming that your spouse wants to do the same thing. And so I think that that swing over to the hyper independence, there can be a lot to be learned Mm -hmm. in that phase of things. If you find yourself there and how can I take what I'm learning there? And then as you know, hopefully in the relational repair, your spouse is doing their own work to get to the core of their identity and manage whatever's coming up for them, being able to manage their emotions in a healthy way and not look to unhealthy coping mechanisms, then we can settle back into that interdependent dynamic. When there's like this movement from codependent behaviors into this like hyper-independence, sometimes it's necessary to be in that because as trust is being built in a relationship, that's what says, okay, this person is safe to meet my needs. And so a lot of the relational repair requires some of that to kind of like test the waters, I guess, to see, is this person safe? So we get our needs met by connecting to God, ourselves, safe others, which could look like group sport, community, family, friends, or our partner. And so with any relationship that we have, we have to know that it's safe for that person to meet our needs before stepping in. And so, yeah, I agree. It's almost like necessary for it to happen or it's okay for it to be in that. And I think when you were earlier, when you were talking about that's the work, sometimes people say, okay, I I hear you say that's the work, but what do you mean by the work? And in that, I think of, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about like really identifying our core values and what is most important to me. And I actually have an exercise. I have my clients kind of like a journaling exercise that I have my clients work through to kind of really take a good look at what does make me tick. What are my values separate and independent of anybody else, you know, separate than my parents, separate than 
my spouse, separate than my social circles or my religious circles. Like for me, what are my values and my beliefs and what do I hold important? And, you know, we can ask questions around like, okay, when last time I was upset, what was going on that caused me to be upset? And was there a value there that was being pushed up against? Or when I experience joy or when I'm having peace, what's going on? And what does that say about the things that I value and who I am? And do I find myself trying to prove my worth to someone through my achievements or prove myself lovable by stepping into unhealthy dynamics in a relationship and going against what feels authentic and right for me in this pursuit to be loved and accepted. And so that's to me, like some of that work is really taking a look at, at our behaviors and and our values and checking to see if they're lining up. Are there things that I do that actually don't line up with what I say is most important to me? And if there is, what can I do differently to step out of that and stay authentic to who I am? And we have to first know ourselves before we can be authentic to who we are. And so I think that's part of that work is values work, comparing that with our behaviors and are they lining up? Absolutely. Like values is one of the first things I do with my partners. And then we do an evaluation as we are working together. Like, are they, is this still where you're at? Is your life moving in that alignment of like to the, to where you want to be with your value system? And And as we talk about with boundaries, much of the work with boundaries is, am I functioning from my core values, what I need as a human to, to survive and thrive and what do I have a right to? And those, that's how we create boundaries and know what is acceptable and tolerable and um, wanted in our lives. And so a lot of times we will start out with boundaries and there's like a fear. If I do this, then what may happen? And that's where codependent behaviors are picked up because I'm afraid if I start implementing boundaries, I will be um, abandoned or betrayed again or rejected in those core wounds. And so knowing yourself, knowing your worth, your value, what is important to me? Where do I want to go? That is the work. And both partners in the relationship need to do this for healthy interdependence. And I think in recovery too, for the person with the sexual integrity issues is getting rooted in their values and in their own identity and a lot of other work along the road, their recovery work of doing things that align with my values that are going to help me rewire my neural pathways in a way that I start to think from that value-based center in my brain rather than from my emotional-based brain. I think when we start talking about boundaries, like you said, they can be a little bit intimidating or scary to some people because it does require oftentimes a shift in your behavior. And those behaviors, those codependent behaviors that you were talking about have been the thing that have felt like they were keeping us safe, even though they don't actually serve us well, but they feel like they're keeping us safe. And one of the first things I do too, with a lot of my clients is have them create either an identity statement or a personal bill of rights statement, because sometimes we don't think we have a right to step out of those unhealthy behaviors. 
especially if you've seen it modeled. Like if you grew up in a codependent home with one or the other parent who was codependent and there was a lot of unhealthy dynamics, you think that's normal or that's the way it's supposed to be because that's all you've ever known. I like to think of boundaries as being connected, but protected. So sometimes with like, we talked about that pendulum, you, you swing from being totally codependent to independent. I have an example of this where I don't know if this ever happens in anybody else's world, but sometimes let's say your spouse has a tendency to kind of exude a negative energy when they come home. And if you know that's a, a common thing and you have codependent patterns, you might run out in front and go, okay, he or she's supposed to be home right now. Kids, let's make sure the house is picked up and I got to make sure that dinner's ready and on the table and that everything's just right because we don't want to do anything that's going to set mom or dad off. Yeah. And so let's go run out in front and make sure that everything's okay. And that's a more of a codependent pattern where yeah. I'm trying to basically manage my partner's behaviors by making sure everything's okay for them and not upsetting them in any way. And connected but protected is you know, being rooted in whatever it is you have going on and not going, I have to stop everything that's important to me right now to make sure that everything's okay for them when they come home and yet staying grounded in ourself. And if you see your spouse come home in a, you know, negative energy, you can acknowledge it. You can notice it. And a lot of it is like internal dialogue, psychological boundaries that's going on in your head and something along the lines of, okay, I can see that he or she is upset right now. And I actually care that they're upset, but it's not my responsibility to manage that for them. And I don't have to jump in and fix that for them. And so I'm going to stay over here and do my thing. I can acknowledge it. You might say verbally something like, it seems like you're upset about something. Is there something you want to talk about? And then you're there, you're showing that you care and you're connected, but you're not going, what's going on? Tell me what's happened. I need to fix this. Like, how can I help you? Or can we make this better? What can we do? You're just noticing and you care. If there's something they want to talk about, you can be willing to talk about it, but you don't have to jump in and fix it. You can in your mind go, okay, maybe they had a bad day and that's okay. They can work through that. I can care, but I don't have to jump in and fix it. And so that's kind of an example of stepping out of that codependent behavior which can feel a little bit scary, you know, because you might be worried about what their consequences are of their upset mood. And it's actually theirs to own, not ours to fix. So in our early recovery, we had a therapist that was talking about this exactly. So basically the need to feel responsible for someone else's emotional state is that whenever we come into conversation or connection with someone else, we are trying to build these healthy dynamics. We are not responsible for the other person's reaction or their emotional state, psychological state. We're not responsible for that. We can aid in and help support that, which we know is empathy. Can we listen here, validate their experience without feeling responsible for the fix, the take, like carrying you through this, but I'm just here to support you in this. If you would like my support and so that we are not responsible for someone else's reaction. And mm -hmm. although it feels protective 
in the long run, we don't have that authority over someone else. So even by doing all the measures like codependent behaviors, we still cannot predict with confidence that this is how the outcome is going to be. I think when we do that, when we show up connected, but protected and with empathy and validation, but we stay out of the fix it mode, we empower the other person to actually take ownership of their emotions, of their challenges. And if we've been in that codependent, those codependent patterns, it's almost like sometimes we enable it and I hate that word enable it, but it's almost like we do enable it to continue and we give them power. And it's almost like we have to have this mindset shift in ourselves of going, you know what? I believe other people are capable of managing their own stuff. And I'm going to step out of taking any responsibility for that. And I'm going to give that responsibility all back to them. And as we step out of that and we give that, I believe that, that it empowers them. And oftentimes we see them step up and I think they actually appreciate it. It can create kind of an unhealthy, maybe parent child dynamic in a marriage relationship. If we're always trying to step in and fix things for our partner and nobody wants to parent their spouse, like if you got kids, you got kids. If you don't want to parent your spouse or be in that parent child dynamic. And so taking that step back and viewing your partner as capable of managing their own stuff empowers them to do that. And I think that's a beautiful thing when that happens. Well, absolutely. And that reminds me of like the content and behavioral truth. So when what we see and what they say aligns, that's where we know that we've seen truth. Sometimes truth isn't like the mushy, gushy, yummy feeling. Sometimes truth doesn't feel good. And so if we allow the other person to take responsibility for their own emotions and healing recovery, all those things, then we can see evidence through content and behavioral truth, what that person is capable of, which really only gives us more power or be more empowered to make an informed decision regarding the relationship. So yes, that it just moves you both towards healthier ways of being. So the healthy interdependence, what it is, is when you have two healthy whole people. And so like, I use that term lightly, we're, I think we're always moving towards wholeness or that's my own belief. Like we're always moving towards But we have two people who know their identity, know their value system. They know their worth. They know that they're not responsible for the other person's emotions, uh, psychological well-being, financial well-being. Like we are coming together in a partnership. And that is what interconnectedness or this interdependency looks like. And something which we do this work in relational repair is can we move towards empathy. And usually it's the one who has acted out starts to create empathy for the partner. But ultimately what we're looking for is that each partner in the relationship can have empathy for the other person. And so within empathy is um, healthy communication, vulnerability, being able to share who I am with you, even some of the yucky things, like, can I share some of these stronger unwanted emotions with you? And it be a safe place to do that. Yeah. I think of that too. I I often say that we're 
you know, we're whole and healthy and complete. And I agree with you. We're always on this journey of wholeness and completeness, but I guess two people striving for that. And then we add value to each other. We add value to like your spouse's life and that your spouse adds value to yours, but it isn't like this necessary. They don't, they're not fulfilling your basic needs because you're fulfilling those yourself as you anchor into who you are. And if you're spiritual, like I believe our identity comes from God. And as we anchor into that, we anchor ourselves with God. And if our spouse is doing the same thing, then we both have our anchor in this solid thing that isn't going to waver. If our spouse does, if our spouse kind of swings a little bit to one side of healthy or unhealthy, we're anchored and we're secure. And when we can do that, it's almost, it can be a strength to each other when one of us is struggling, then if you're anchored and and hopefully you're not both struggling always at the same time, when you're anchored in solidly, then if your spouse is struggling, then you can be a solid place for them to kind of recenter themselves, get to a place where they can recenter. It's when we're both not grounded and we're both struggling and and then we're bumping up against each other's wounds all the time. That's when we find that unhealthy dynamic. And when we can allow each other to do our own work, then we can become more of an anchor for each other rather than, you know, getting sucked in by each other's struggles. Yeah. There's a part of this that moves like this betrayal is a relational trauma. It severs the attachment bonds within the relationship. So what can happen with attachment styles is the partner who has been betrayed can move to like anxious, avoidant attachments, really insecure attachments, disorganized. Like I'm not really sure ambivalence around it. Like I'm not really sure if I should go closer or pull away. And so a lot of the process of moving through these trauma responses is to create that secure attachment within self, which really if I also view it through the God lens too, is when we can create that healthy attachment with God, then we have a healthy, more secure attachment with self. We can start looking at these core wounds. What do I believe about myself now that this has happened? And is it true? What are my facts based around that? And how can I shift those beliefs into a healthier view? So a lot of this work with the interdependency in relationship is based on your attachment. So when we are talking about that wholeness, is creating secure attachment within each partner in the relationship so that we can come together and have a secure attachment together as a couple. And when there has been the severing of the attachment wound, it can cause so much confusion for both partners that some of the behaviors that they are using can look like these codependent or they're all trauma responses, but they can look like this. And it's very much of the process of moving towards what we call post-traumatic growth. And so a lot of this is experienced in grief is a really good time to start. And then in really in post-traumatic growth, where we're rebuilding that relationship to what we want. Stephanie, I want to share an experience that my husband and I had. I can't remember which one of us, one of us bought the other one's dance lessons at, at a Fred Astaire dance studio that we have around us. And we're not really dancers. Like we like to dance and I grew up dancing, but not ballroom dancing. And we used to, when we were first married, we'd go country dancing, but we didn't really know what we were doing. 
So we ended up buying a package of dance lessons. And I had this epiphany when we were in the, in the middle of our dance lessons, because like I said, we're not ballroom dancers. So we didn't know what we were doing. We probably had no business being in this dance studio. But as we showed up there, so the instructor is trying to teach us the different styles of ballroom dance. And we didn't know what we were doing. So we're standing there trying to, to figure it out together. And the instructor's up at the front. It's a group lesson. So we're kind of watching everybody around us and we're watching the instructor and we are not getting it. Like it was clumsy. I was stepping on his toes. He was stepping on my toes. We weren't turning together. Like I would turn one way and he would turn the other. And it was a mess. It was pretty much a mess. And we were laughing and sometimes it was frustrating. But if they think about looking at it from the outside in, it was pretty messy. And I had a moment in there when the instructor came over and took a turn with each one of us. You have to figure out if you've never danced before, but you have to figure out that when, when your partner steps forward with your, their right leg, you have to step backwards with your left and vice versa. Like you're doing the opposite of what your partner is doing. And if you're the guy, you are giving your wife cues about where you're leading them on the dance floor. And if you're the partner, you have to like pay attention or you'll miss the cues as they're leading you around the dance floor. And then you're running into each other, running into other people and it can be painful and messy. You can get hurt. You can fall. So the instructor came and took a turn with each of us and was showing us how to do it. And it was so much easier with somebody that knew what they were doing to actually follow. And for my husband to learn how to lead with someone that knew what they were doing and so as we both spent time with the instructor, when we came back together, it was still a little clumsy at first. And then all of a sudden, everything just started to click. And we were like, we were doing it. And I had this like emotional moment. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so symbolic of like our relationship and where we've been. We didn't know what the heck we were doing when we got married. If you're like us, you got married young and we didn't really have a lot of instruction on how to have a healthy relationship dynamic. And so there's been a lot of stumbling over each other and some painful experiences that we've had. And then as we've recovered from our, our painful history, and we've gotten instruction from people, professionals that have helped show us the way of how to have a healthy relationship. And as we've practiced it, it's not always perfect, but we can create this more beautiful dynamic where we are both doing our part and we both have to do our part because if, if I practice and he doesn't, he's going to forget what he's doing or vice versa. If he practices and I forget, he's going to try to do his part and I'm going to maybe step on his toes. And so there's this give and take where we both have to learn our part, practice our part, show up in the relationship in our part, and then it can create this beautiful interdependent dynamic. But if we're both not doing our part, even if you're showing up healthy, but your spouse isn't or vice versa, you're going to get stepped on. Your toes are going to get stepped on. You're going to be bumping up. And then you can step out of that pain by continuing to do your part and showing up healthy. And then your spouse either joins you in the healthy version of the relationship or they don't. And like we talked about before, then you get some clarity on what you want to make as what choices you want to make as far as the future of your relationship goes. Is this behavior something I can tolerate in the relationship and I can keep myself protected or is it not? Is it something that I can't tolerate and do I need to go over here and protect myself and find myself 
first outside of the relationship? Or do I need to step away from the relationship? Those are the questions that you can make. And it's so much better to make them from that place of clarity when you are anchored in yourself rather than from in the clumsy part of the unhealthy dynamic of the relationship when you haven't stepped out of your own unhealthy patterns first. So it's so much better to get anchored in who you are and learn your part and show up healthy and then make those decisions from a place of clarity. Yeah. I love that analogy. It's not even an analogy. It's like a real life experience and I love it. It's very much true and symbolic of what it's like. And one thing that you were saying in there, and it really stood out to me was like, there was when we were getting really clumsy and you were stepping on his toes, he was stepping on yours. And then the instructor had to step in. I was thinking, yes, that's even more symbolic of what this relational repair is like. There are times that things come up as we are trying to work together as a couple. And I notice that this is like a me or my role issue. Like this is something that I need to take on and I need to do a little more work in. So I need to step aside and do some work with my instructor, my professional, so that I can come back and be the part or the role that I need in the relationship or in the dance. And so, yes, that's so good. Sometimes the instructor is God. Sometimes it's just, okay, let me go check in with God on this part, Let how I'm showing up in this. And do I need to look at my own behaviors and do I need to show up differently? So sometimes the instructor is God as we anchor ourselves into him again. And sometimes it is someone outside professional support. Yeah, that's so good. So another thing that I was thinking along the lines of like creating this healthy uh, relational dynamic really begins in like the grief process and then moves into post-traumatic growth. And one thing that happens in post-traumatic growth is this revisioning of the future and realignment of our goals. So that happens for the individual. And then in relational repair, we are moving towards, can we build this new house with the same vision, same goals for the future or similar? Are we moving in the same direction? So there is a lot of empathy that's needed for this healthy communication and vulnerability. And can we show up together in conversation or in our daily lives to be able to support each other's vision and goals in a healthy way? So sometimes what will happen is during the healing process is like a complete revisioning of self. So now I know who I am. I know what my values are, my beliefs, my identity. I really have this clear vision, maybe that I've never had before about myself. And bringing all that together in relational repair through visioning for the future is important. I think it's a huge step in being able to make that informed decision regarding the relationship. Sometimes in the healing process, each individual changes so much that their visions do not align. I have seen that happen. So it's good to be clear on what is the vision and hope for my future look like? Can I share that with my partner? Is theirs aligned with mine? What does our future look like together after we've done this work? So a lot of that takes place later on, but it's very much part of the post-traumatic growth phase of healing. Yeah. Also, I think sometimes we find as we both hopefully do the values work of like getting clear on what my values are. I've seen this too, where you do your own values work and in the relational repair process, you realize that your values actually don't line up. And then you have to decide, okay, what does that mean for me and for our future? Are there some compromises we can make in this area of values that I'm okay with? And and am I able to stay standing in my values while their values are a little bit different? Is there a compromise there? 
that can be made or is there not? And so I've seen that happen too, where vision and values, maybe you, you discover they're different down the road that you didn't realize early on. And that's important to know. It's important to know what your spouse, what they value and what they vision. And I love that idea of future visioning, because if you don't know where you're going, how are you going to get there? Yes. Right. Like, are we just wandering aimlessly, hoping that someday we arrive where we want to, or do we have a vision for what we want our relationship to look like? And then as we make that vision, can we take steps to move toward that? Yes. We've talked a lot about core values. I think we should do an episode on that at some point, but when we have those core values and we see that there is a, a misalignment, it, it is common. I see that often. There is some sort of misalignment. When we see that and being able to have that compromise, I think it's really important. It's also really important that the like each individual that's doing core value works is, has an honest view of self when they are doing that. So sometimes I've seen usually the one who has acted out do the core values work and they think that this is their set of core values like the certain set, this is the core values, but this isn't how I'm functioning or headed, but that's not the direction that I'm headed in. So a lot of that too, is the content and behavioral truth behind, oh, am I seeing and hearing what is alignment with what they say their core values are? But yeah, we should totally do an episode on core values. It's, it's really important. Okay. Well, as we've talked about interdependence today and moving into a more healthy dynamic, We hope that you have received some good nuggets that you can take and start to evaluate your own behaviors and look at, are there some things that I can do to step into a more interdependent relationship? And if it feels overwhelming or if it feels scary, it's okay. Lean into it. Anchor yourself into your identity to God. Get some support if you need it and trust the process that as you do this, it's going to benefit your relationship. It will help shift your relationship into what Stephanie kind of referred to earlier as like that new dynamic in your relationship that we need after betrayal. We want something different. We want something new. And this is part of that is creating, looking at your own behaviors so that we can create a different dynamic as we heal and move forward after betrayal. So we appreciate you joining us today. And please see the show notes for more information on how to connect with Stephanie and I, and we look forward to having you with us next week. Thank you for listening to the Choosing to Stay podcast. If you have enjoyed this show, we invite you to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. Connection, empathy, and growth. Choosing to Stay.